Hi, everyone. My name is Miles Surratt, and I serve as the Assistant Director for Leadership and the Center for Student Engagement at George Washington University. I'm also happy to be your host for the NASPA Leadership Podcast, which is presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. You can find more about the Knowledge Community on our various social media outlets, including Facebook, which is facebook.com backslash SALead, on Twitter at, at NASPA SLPKC, at Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC, and you can find our supplemental materials from, uh, from our podcast on our Tumblr, which is NASPA SLPKC. It's truly an honor uh, to welcome my guest today, Laura Osteen. Laura serves as the director of the Florida State University Center for Leadership and Social Change. The center is a campus-wide endeavor to transform lives through leadership education, identity develop, and community development, and community engagement. Before coming to Florida State, Laura worked as the program director of the Kansas State Student Union, and prior to K-State, Laura was the associate faculty director of the College Park Scholars Public Leadership Program at the University of Maryland College Park. Previous to her work at Maryland, Laura also held roles at the University of Missouri-Columbia and Stevens College. Laura received her Doctorate of Philosophy degree from the University of Maryland College Park in the field of college student personnel with an emphasis in leadership and organizational change. And Laura also received a master's degree in student affairs and higher education from Colorado State University in Fort Collins. And her undergraduate degree is in speech communications from Indiana University, Bloomington. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for, thanks so much for joining me today. So before we transition into, into our set of questions, I did want to mention that, uh, Laura, you are the first person who is a guest on the podcast who has previously been referenced on the podcast. Oh, so, my. Mm-hmm. That sure. is uh, quite an honor. Sure, yeah. So uh, when I uh, spoke with Ann Arsenault, William & Mary, she uh, specifically uh, referenced, uh, we were talking about our programs, and she basically said, I feel like we're doing good work, but... We're not uh, we're not Laura Osteen and the work that they're doing at Florida State. So I I felt like that was a pretty pretty big compliment. <laughs> Anne is absolutely incredible. If uh, if I could do half the things that she does, that'd be a beautiful day. So <laughs> no, I right she, back to her. I think she might have been underselling herself a little bit there. Yes. So. Yes. Um, Great. So just to, just to get to know you and sort of your student affairs journey a little bit better, uh, who inspired you to go into student affairs? Sure. Two folks. Uh, the first that comes to mind, his name is Jim Osteen, and he happens to be my dad. Uh, I definitely fo- followed my father into this field. Uh, and then the second one that comes to mind is Don Luce, who was at the time my union board advisor at Indiana University. Uh, he then had a great career at UNC Chapel Hill and is retired now. Uh, but those two uh, incredible men, uh, I think, guided me in this path. Great, great. I think that this is certainly a field that's really defined by mentorship and narratives. And so uh, I think that that's a you know, a really important thing to know about someone. So uh, who is the best leader that you know and why? So I have to tell you that I I struggle with this question um, Mm. because it's the conception that we are a best leader. Uh, For me, Mm. I definitely believe that we are a leader in moments. And so I think about I can't separate out best leader from the moment in which it was enacted. And so I honestly think of many students and the challenges and changes that they have grasped 
and moments in time on campuses that I have uh, been on and the, the honor to be at with them. If I think about the current moment in time where I am right now, then uh, using that qualifier of the best leader that I know, and I don't mm -hmm. uh, proclaim to know him uh, extremely well, but I do know him and those around him and our mayor right now in mm. Tallahassee, I think is an absolutely incredible change agent that is moving us forward and moving us forward as a community. Um, he has surrounded himself with brilliant, young, diverse minds, and he listens to them. He has a vision of our community where everyone matters and where we come together. And uh, everywhere from, uh, he was actually recently mentioned in the New York Times as you know a, a young uh, politician to watch out for, um, but that wouldn't be how you would um, interact with him in a day-to-day -day hello. He is a humble, gracious, um, just wonderful leader. So if I think about right now in the context of my city, I think about uh, Mayor Andrew Gillum. Hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, I find that... Uh that well pretty much to to continue talking about Anne, i uh pretty much any time i asked her for some sort of superlative she uh was really uh, was really adroit <laughs> at dodging the question uh, <laughs> because she uh I, I think she is uh a, a smart enough person and and i and i find as even as i get older that uh the nuance of the idea of you know favorites or best becomes a little bit more of a challenge uh because you know uh, you know, we're all dealing with, you know, I, I feel fine as you get older, the, the concept of, you know, everything being ambiguous becomes a little bit, a little bit more real. And so, you know, a, what seems to be a simple question like that becomes a very, you know, com complex answer. So, so true. Yeah. Uh, so what interaction with leadership did you have when you were young that still tangibly informs how you personally lead? If I think back across how I grew up and the lessons that stick with me in that experience, I would have to say it's my mom. And I was laughing when I thought about this because I, she is not in student affairs, but I think that uh, she is definitely who I learned from and continue to this day to learn from the concept of challenge and support. <laughs> so mm. uh, from the classic 1980s concept of a super mom uh, or superwoman, that was my mom. So from a pretty um, incredible career in technology and education uh, and someone who attended uh, Johns Hopkins uh, Business School at night uh, while in a full-time career, um, and at the same time setting very high expectations for her daughters, but matching that with the support and love of uh, the capacity and the efficacy that we could do it, um, I, I think that I continue to hold those pieces of what's possible, about um, setting your own definitions um, of success and of, um, of possibility um, that she instilled in me, I think I definitely hold to this day. Hmm. Great. Thanks. Um, so what experience most informed how you think about yourself as a leader? 
I'm, I'm going to have to make that plural, and um, it will be similar to the dodging any absolutes. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it is so contextually based that when I think about how I think of myself in this work, it is, it is a daily evolution. It is this process of the folks here at the center. I could, I could give you every single name of the folks that I work with here at the center, whether it is student, faculty, staff, administration, and how in our interactions we communicate to each other, observe one another, what feedback I get back from those interactions, uh, where I believe at the end of the day I was effective, where at the end of the day I believe, wow, I failed at that miserably, um, how I take that data and let it inform who I'm going to be in a, as a better self tomorrow. And uh, clearly, I um, work at that, and it's not uh, not an absolute that it happens, but it's definitely an ongoing process for me about how am I building my life through the curriculum that the lessons learn from the people around me. Great, great. Well, thanks so much. Um, so I wanted to transition into, you know, a little bit, a slightly more uh, direct and substantive conversation about leadership. So you're an amazing resource in the field of student leadership programs and someone that I firmly believe should be modeled after by new professionals. So uh, with that context in mind, which I imagine, you know, the, the, you know, the compliment probably made you fairly uncomfortable, uh, who, should, who should the listeners uh, be reading in order to best understand the field and make sure that they're developing as professionals and supporting students the best that they can? You're correct. <laughs> that, that does make me very uncomfortable. Um, yeah. One, it's just thank you. That is that's uh, very kind. And yet, I do I do challenge it specific for a specific reason, not just for a false sense of humility, but because we have way too many white woman models in student leadership programs. Mm. So at some level, no, please don't. <laughs> like, um, please let us continue to create, discover, find, seek out, identify more models. Um, mm. I think that we need that as human beings. I think we need that if we're going to be relevant at all in this work of leadership development. Mm. And so when I think about what I hope people are reading, the very first things I come to um, aren't necessarily leadership, what we would think of as the traditional leadership scholars. I think about, are they reading uh, Paulo Freire? Are they reading Bell Hooks? Are they reading Audre Lorde? Um, How are we thinking about this human experience that we have the incredible, um, what's about to say, we're going to teach this, right? We're going to teach how to be human with other humans. Um, and if we're going to do that, then I think we need to do a lot more breadth and depth of reading about the human experience. Mm-hmm. And so uh, recently I have just fallen in love with the work of, and I don't know the correct pronunciation of her name, but Sarah Ahmed from the University of London. Um, I also, a uh, contemporary uh, that I look up to right now for her writing and her intersectionality of work is Sherry Watt from Iowa. 
Um, and then when I think about traditional leadership pieces, I definitely think about Wheatley and Dugan and Day and uh, all the theories that I use and the authors of those works um, that I hope that we're continuing to integrate into how we think about the human experience of creating change. Mm. Great. Well, thanks. Um... So a lot of new professionals uh, have a hard time accessing quality work to emulate. So one institutions, you obviously just mentioned a couple of uh, a couple of scholars that are attached to institutions, but what institutions do you know that are doing student leadership work really well and you think, you know, as a new professional, these are, you know, these are the programs, these are the websites that you need to be going to and these are the folks that you need to be getting in touch with to make sure that what you're doing is is uh, it, you know, is going to be the best that it possibly can be. So one of the ways I thought about this question was to think about if I could go be a student right now, what program would I want to do? You know, where, where would I want to go sure. sit and be and listen and engage? And three things came to mind. The first is that I would love to be a part of a dialogue program at the University of Michigan. I, I, I think that the work and the process of dialogue is just coming up over and over and over again. That dialogue across difference is one of the number one ways that we not only cognitively but, but grow in our leadership as well. Second is I would just take a plethora of what I call the leadership and classes at the University of Maryland. They have this rich experience of whether it is leadership and identity, leadership and contexts, all the different ways that we think about that unique experience and the human experience of leadership that I think that they have distilled out in some beautiful ways. Third is that I think the Kravis Institute at Claremont McKenna College is doing some of this assessment and truly thinking about how do we measure student learning and outcomes in the field of leadership in a human experience in powerful ways. And I would love to take a class where I was assessed like they're assessing their students to really kind of think about what did I learn and how am I walking away from this different than when I entered. Great. Yeah, no, those are those are fantastic resources. Um, so leadership folks love to debate theory. Uh, and so uh, you know, there's obviously, uh, you know, the big, the, the big folks, that, the big theories that are out there. But uh, what do you think are, what theories do you think are a must for implementation? Sure. And I'll respond with both theories and models. Uh, the, the, the first is that I, my go-to is Heifetz and my go-to is adaptive leadership. I think that it gives us the language around authority and leadership that truly help us distinguish and distill those concepts and phenomena. It also then gives us the transactional um, um, and adaptive work that helps us understand what kind of problems we're facing. In addition then to his work, uh, I think about some foundational pieces around Kuzas and Posner's work is clearly uh, accessible. It is so applicable across uh, different contexts, and it works, I think, for all ages. It works for what are you, you're challenging something around the family dinner table to uh, in the staff meeting, and so I think it's um, mm -hmm. uh, very applicable. 
Uh, and then f finally, uh, clearly I came up in this work uh, through the work and leadership and love of Susan Comavez, and she has brought so many incredible researchers and authors up into her work, and they have taken it in new and inc incredible places. So whether it's some of her original work with Lucas and McMahon, or whether it is where John Dugan is going these days, uh, Julie Owen, Wendy Wagner, that I think they're doing some incredible work in this field. Mm. Great. Uh, so you once worked in a center there at the University of Maryland that is dedicated to James McGregor Burns, and uh, the you know Burns is a legend in the world of leadership and academics and politics. But I I don't think, and I haven't found that uh, his work is quite as known in the student leadership world or quite as applied. Uh, and so I wanted sort of your thoughts on maybe why uh, Burns hasn't quite transitioned into student leadership work quite as directly. I know that. Uh, in the business and the corporate world and in the academic world, he, he's still uh, very preeminent. But sort of wanted your thoughts on why do you think, you know, his, his work hasn't been translated quite as much, and how do you see his thoughts applying to student, to student leadership work specifically? Sure. Uh, a couple different thoughts. The first is that I think it does reflect our need to do more interdisciplinary reading, right? Like mm -hmm. how do we have the, the, his political work inform and shape what happens. Um, <laughs> just as a joke, but also probably more true than we would like, his book is also large and dense. And I'm not mm -hmm. sure how many folks uh, have really sat down and read the entire thing, right? And so I think there's some accessibility pieces, like we're probably not going to assign it as, as a book in a student leadership class. Mm -hmm. um, and probably not in many undergraduate classes um, in that way. And so what is accessible are pieces of his book and clearly the concept and the his framing argument, I do believe, is actually undergirds almost all student leadership work. And mm. so in many ways, I think his work about both transactional, transformational, and about the ethical, moral components, I believe, gave birth to many of the programs of, of models and theories and writings that we see in our work. I mm. also think that his concept of transformational has been taken forward and evolved by so many different authors that mm -hmm. I think many of the authors that we do use in student leadership work that are using the concept of transformation come back eventually to Heifetz's work. He's just not referenced in, in much of it. Um, what I think is really interesting is his influence is still so felt so wide and deep in, in many different ways, I think, that we don't always know. I just had a remarkable experience, actually, in Britain uh, through the incredible work of Georgia Sorensen, who, of course, was a colleague and mm -hmm. um, just in many ways, I think, um, was one of the reasons why Burns's work is so accessible is because of her work and her ability to translate that to many different audiences. But she's doing some great work creating a new Burns Center uh, at the University of Cambridge. And I was recently there, and one of the students who's working with Georgia, Denny Braggins, literally reached out and took me on this incredible day adventure to see the center there and to talk about leadership. And I was just floored with this legacy of scholarship 
and leadership theory and practice that was literally crossing boundaries and um, crossing borders. And when I said this to him, Denny laughed and said, well, we might not agree on a definition of leadership, but as leadership scholars, we sure can take care of one another. I thought, well, that's, that's simply beautiful. And if that's a legacy of Burns, then that's something that I think he would be quite proud of. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think, it's, uh, I think it's an interesting point to sort of, well, I think the question of, as someone who has, who has read all of, all of Burns' leadership, I think it's an interesting question, that idea of density, because it's definitely dense in a, in a different way than, say, a textbook is. You know, in some ways I find that book to be, and maybe it's because, you know, maybe this is the, the history major and undergrad bias that I have, but I find that book to be a little bit man, more manageable to get through than some of our more, more, more of our directly theory-based two-student leadership programs. Uh, I you think know, you're uh, absolutely right. I think you're absolutely there. right. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it certainly, it, certainly is, uh, it certainly is a little daunting to look at, I suppose. So, but, great. Uh, yeah, no, I, I had the opportunity to go to a conference uh, maybe two years ago that was hosted at the Mount Vernon Estate, the, the library there, and uh, it was in honor of James McGregor Burns and Georgia Sorensen spoke at that, and it was uh, really wonderful to, to get mm-hmm. to have that experience. So, um, so to transition us a little bit, so you serve as a facilitator for leadership, which is obviously a force in the field of student leadership programs, and so I wanted to, to sort of uh, you know, have a little scenario here. So let's imagine that I'm a non-converted administrator. Uh, and so how would you convince me to support leadership programs for campus? You know, what would be the, the pitch to folks out there to really, you know, kind of in a, in a quick way try to understand what leadership does for a campus? Sure. I think the pitch would start with the assumption that in our work we believe in the retreat experience, Mm -hmm. that if we can get to the space where in our work the concept of stepping outside of students and staff's daily routine to learn in an intentional manner for an extended amount of time, that if we have that agreement that, that retreats matter, then the deal that I have for you is that you can hire with at truly an incredible price, a curriculum writer who, has spent, who spends their entire year thinking about what to do for six days. And so you're hiring someone who's, what, all they're doing for a year is thinking about what should happen on these six days. That curriculum writer is then going to reach out and find two facilitators with significant life and leadership experience within a pool of diverse, incredibly, um, this role model idea of being present and believing in the value of your students' uh, experience. They're going to reach into that pool and bring two facilitators to your campus to deliver that curriculum. And then on top of that, they're going to pay attention to every tiny detail you don't even want to begin to think about. And they're going to do all of that, and I've got research to show it's pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Okay, great, great. No, I think that that's. I think that uh, leadership is someone who is uh, who is not an experienced leadership veteran, but is certainly aware of the the footprint that that particular program has in the field. I think that that's 
helpful to provide some context because, I mean, you know, you can do a very quick market back, basket study and get a sense of, you know, what sort of, you know, what sort of influence leadership has uh, on college campuses. And so it, for, the, for the uninitiated, I think that that's wonderful information. So, um, I do want to say one more quick thing because I think what happens sure. with leadership is we start to think it's this, like, magical bullet or that, that this it's this um or we talk about it in words that are way too out there and it can actually damage itself we, we the fans of leadership can be the number one um detriment to leadership there's nothing magical about it it is people doing hard work for a year to create the best curriculum you know what I mean? And so, it's, it's, so that's the catch. It's the catch that, yes, we've got brilliant leadership educators on campuses around the nation, around the globe, but these folks spend a year figuring out this program, and none of us mm-hmm. have that time to do that. And so it makes sense that it's pretty good. They're working hard to make sure it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Uh, I mean, you know, that uh, gets back to, you know, that sort of old saying that, uh, I believe in I believe in luck, and the more uh, I believe in luck, and the more I work hard, the more I believe, you know, the, the more yes. I seem to stumble upon it. So yes. uh, yeah, yes. yeah, there's no magic to leadership; just hard work. <laughs> right. Um, great. So I wanted to talk about the, this. Is a question that I uh, that I ask on every podcast, and I really want people who. Uh, who are doing good work to be able to answer this. But uh, I think for our students and I think, you know, for people out there in the world sometimes, leadership as a concept can fade into vagueness and it can lose its efficacy, uh, particularly because folks have been through, you know, sessions or they've, you know, they personally have facilitated or they've been a participant in facilitations or uh, where leadership has, you know, been this sort of, uh, you know, the sort of like lump that's out there and is, you know, purely hypothetical. Uh, so how do you think we can make sure that in the work that we're doing, in the work that we're doing for students, how can we avoid uh, the outcome of leadership not having the efficacy that it can and should? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I, and I definitely understand why you would keep asking it. Uh, I think that one of my number one challenges to myself and others in this work is the clarity of the definition of what we're talking about. And I actually don't need us to agree on the definition. I just need to know what your definition is before you start talking about it. Mm. Because I think that we start a lot of programs. We write a lot of books. And nowhere in the book have we actually described, defined the concept that we're talking about. Um, We just assume that this idea of leadership can capture whatever it is I have to say versus being really clear about this is how I'm conceptualizing it and then therefore this is what I'm going to write about for how we learn it, how we practice it, how we fail at it, what it's good about it, what's bad about it. Um, But we jump to the second part without being really clear. And what happens is when we lose that clarity, then, then just everything gets thrown in then, okay, you're not born with it, and you also can't learn it, and it's also everything. Uh, I I love the lollipop TED talk that people love to show at, video, at classes and workshops. That just makes me feel warm all over. But no, not everything can be leadership, right? Actually being kind could could just stand on its own. 
It would be really beautiful if we did more things of kindness. So talking to someone, giving them the time of day to say, I see you. These are really important things to do. And so it's not that I'm saying the lollipop video is bad, but I'm saying we don't need to make everything leadership in order to get relevance, in order to get accessibility, in order to get more people to the table to talk about developing their leadership capacity. Mm. Yeah, I think that I think that uh, I, I think that a huge problem that you that you identified there is, you know, the idea that I mean, I I find uh, conversations about the definition of leadership to be. Uh, I'm just not a semantics or wordsmithing person, and so I find those conversations to be so frustrating. And so I think the idea, I think the point of it doesn't really matter what your definition is; just make sure that you're defining it at the beginning, and then you can, you know, and then you can go from there is really convicting. And I think the the point broadly about how leadership is <clears throat> can be broad enough and can be interpreted in ways that are uh, that are so, you know, so broad and so overarching that you can end up with these situations where leadership is actually uh, conflicting with itself and really confusing, um, I think is, I think is really valid. Uh, so, uh, okay, so uh, the, the last question I have for you before we, before we get into our regular segments is uh, one, so we uh, share a mutual colleague, someone who uh, used to work in your office, now works in my office, and he mentioned to me this morning that you don't like to be called the director. Uh, and so I kind of wanted to, I, that was really interesting to me, and I kind of wanted to see if you could talk through your approach to title and how you navigate that in your work. Sure, sure. Um, and tell Matt hello. <laughs> so um, it is the irony for me is amazing that we do this work in leadership learning and we can distinguish and we can teach the difference between authority and positional roles and the process of leadership and creating change. And yet, even when we teach those distinctions, how often we fall back on the safety and security of our positional roles in our work and the power that that gives us and the clarity and the simplicity that, that it gives us. Um, for me, the challenge is we know the difference of what's possible when we use the different strategies. We know authority can solve technical problems. And so we need to be used, I, as the director, I need to solve those technical problems and not shy away from that power, to use that power, to use that power for good. But we know that the process of leadership about coming to the table with all of our strengths and skills and talents of the diverse voices around the room and here at the center, that through that process, is how I'm actually going to create and live in the mission of the center and reach our vision as a center. And we'll never solve the complex, wicked problems we're trying to solve as I, if I sit back in my authority as the director. And so while it is one of my greatest joys, and I am so honored to serve as the director of the Center for Leadership and Social Change, 
being the director, what I can do in that role pales in comparison with what I can accomplish as a team member with mm. the other folks here at the Center for Leadership and Social Change. And so I cannot, and I can't let other folks rest in that reliance upon traditional roles of authority and power. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a really uh, fascinating point. I recently uh, participated in the Mid Managers Institute at uh, uh, for Region Two, uh, and uh, one of the one of our faculty members mentioned that uh, sometimes people uh, seem to be uh, seem to want their the leaders in organizations to make all the decisions. So that was a that was a really interesting point to me, and in sort of your broader, much more eloquent than I am laying out here point about, uh, about the, the, role of, the role of a leader in a team uh, is, is really interesting in the context of that and interesting in the context of the dependency that we have as leaders of, of organizations and, uh, and as folks who have employees, the dependency that we have on them to be doing direct work and how, you know, it, it all sort of goes together in thinking about the unit, you know, thinking about the unit a little bit more symbiotically as a team as opposed to being stuck in these sort of, uh, you know, these sort of rigid corporate concepts about, about, you know, productivity and hierarchy and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Okay. So now we're going to transition to a regular segment that we have called rapid fire. So I'm going to ask Laura, a big silly question, and I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to uh, limit her to a 30 second response. Uh, now I won't have my stopwatch out, uh, but uh, that's that's where we're at. So uh, one thing that I noticed. So uh, in preparation for this, I had you send over I had I had you uh, send over your your bio, which obviously very impressive, and there are a lot of uh, you know very. Uh, you know, very notable things on there. But one thing that really stood out to me is that you had advised the kiteboarding group at Florida State. And I kind of wanted to know, you know, do you have a love for kiteboarding and how did you get involved with that particular group? Yes, I have kiteboarded. I would not say that I'm a kiteboarder. I haven't reached mm. that level of skill yet. But it is adventure. It is fun. It is on the water. I get a chance to work with incredible students who seek out risk. And at the same time, they're math majors and um, physics majors, and they have this alternate life that gives them this escape that's a beautiful way to spend my time. <laughs> great, great. Yeah, no, it, uh, you know, it, it definitely, uh, I've, I've never been kiteboarding myself, so I, I think that it's super interesting. Uh, so you uh, went to the University of Indiana at uh, Bloomington, and you did your, uh, did your doctoral work at, uh, you did your doctoral work at the University of Maryland at College Park, and you did your master's degree at, uh, at Colorado State, which is not exactly a basketball power, but it's, you know, had some really bright moments there, and Florida State's been very competitive under Leonard Hamilton. So where do your college basketball loyalties lie? Yeah, this is a tough one. This is a tough one, but there is an answer. And what I have to add to that, honestly, is that uh, when I was a kid, we lived uh, in Chapel Hill. And so UNC is actually also uh, in my top list of teams. Mm. And uh, if folks remember, Indiana and Maryland played each other in the 2002 Final Four. And Mm. 
that was that was a challenge. That was that was a challenge. But at the end of the day, uh, your alma mater has your heart of, of your undergrad, and so Indiana University is is where my heart lies. Mm. Do you find Tom Crane to be frustrating? Oh God, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> okay, we'll uh, we'll do that later on the NASPA basketball podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I, yes. I'm very sad based on based on uh, some of the some of the allegiances that we mentioned there. I'll be sad to let you know that I'm a really big Duke basketball fan. <gasps> mm-hmm. yeah, Miles, my, it's really good that we're coming to the end of this conversation. That that would have that would not have been good information to start with. Should we stop now? We can. Stop <laughs> I, 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 you know, the the process of becoming an adult, right? We have, I have to learn that life is not always what you'd like it to be. So that's good. It's good. You know, these are tensions are good. <laughs> yeah, my dad is a my dad is a Duke alum. My uh, my very first memory is Duke winning the Final Four against UNLV in 1991. <laughs> so. It's, it's a it's very deep in me, and it's a very interesting perpetrator identity that I have. So, uh. <laughs> That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Well, I uh, can remember Maryland basketball from – I remember where I was when Len Bias died. Um, so mm. I have loved Maryland basketball for much of my life. So it's a, it's a beautiful sport. Yeah, Len Bias's untimely death is one of the, the great – uh, what ifs and tragedies in sports, for sure. Yes, it is. Yes, um, it is. Okay, great. So if you could provide one bit of wisdom to student leadership practitioners, what would it be? Listen to students more. All right. That was well under 30 seconds. That was a good one. I didn't even have to... <laughs> I didn't even have to... didn't even have to get the stopwatch going there. So good. <laughs> All right. Um what do you think is the best book about leadership? We've talked about a lot uh, today, but if you had to, if you had to pick one, and you had to take it on an island with you, uh, what would you pick? I hope it can I do be a, a book about can I do, leadership. Can I do a content one and a process one? <laughs> if I do a content one, I would do "Leadership Can Be Taught" by Sharon DeLose Parks. Okay. If I get to borrow time from my quick answer from before, the process-wise, it would be "Turning to One Another" by Margaret Wheatley. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you get away with cheating on that one. So it'll be my apology for my dear fans. Uh, uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, okay, if you could pick one fictional character from pop culture and have them lead you through a moment of crisis in your life, who would you choose? So I have an answer to this, but I'm not really sure if people would say it's from pop culture. So I might be totally showing my um, just nerddom or, you know, old school um, or just simply my age. Um, but Jean Valjean from Les Mis is who came to mind immediately. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, uh, I, another confession, I think that Les Mis is probably my least favorite movie I've ever seen. Ah! Oh, musical, musical, musical. Not, not, not movie. Not, mo- not the, the movie. The, 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 like right, the, the original. It's okay um, if you did. This is a, you know, this is a safe space for that conversation. <laughs> so uh, I liked it, but I liked it in the context of the musical being one of my favorite musicals of all time. So it had, it, you know, it already had a. Um, emotional connection that 
mm. um, that existed. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah, I really struggle with uh, with musical films. My uh, my partner and I went to see Into the Woods, uh, when, like when it opened, and we didn't know that it was a musical, and we were like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> this is a huge mistake. We just thought it was a Disney movie with Meryl Streep in it. We were really excited. <laughs> <laughs> Did you stay for the whole thing? Oh yeah, we, uh, we we're we're not quitters, so we we <laughs> we, we stuck through it. But yeah, that is too funny. We should have known. It was it was really our fault, I think. <laughs> Anywho, okay, so. Uh, for our last segment, we are going to go uh, through our certainly the silliest part of our conversation. So this is Higher Ed, Two Truths and a Lie. So I'm going to provide Laura with two true stories from higher education current events and one lie. And Laura's going to have to parse out the lie. So the theme for uh, this week is executive oddity. So uh, the first option, Laura, that you have is Recently, Washington State University Provost Dan Bernardo wore a necklace with a queen bee attached to it to create an intentional beard of bees to raise money for a honeybee research center. Okay, so that is, okay. that is your first option. Uh, your second option is that the dean of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln Timothy Way recently offered to resign following a controversy involving the misuse of funds on throw pillows for his home on campus. So that was uh, that is another option. So throw pillows in, in uh, Nebraska Lincoln, and then the third option is that UC Davis Chancellor Linda uh, Katehai was recently suspended following an expenditure of more than seventeen thousand dollars to send aides to Switzerland to study social media. So your three options are Washington State Provost Beard of Bees, University of Nebraska Lincoln Throw Pillows, or UC Davis Switzerland Social Media. So those are your three options. All right, I am gonna go with the Switzerland being true and the Beard of Bees being true and the Throw Pillows being a lie. Okay. so. Uh, I, my memory is maybe not serving me correctly here, but I believe you are only the second person to get this right. That is correct. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, this is the real. This is the real accomplishment here. Is that you, that yes. you made your way through higher ed two truths and a lie. So, that That's is true. Fantastic. Beard of bees. That is real. Uh, social media, social media, Switzerland issue is real. I'd like to apologize if there's anyone in the University of Nebraska Lincoln listening to this. The dean of the School of Engineering did not misuse funds on throw pillows, as far as I know. Uh, I did find these a couple of weeks ago, so there could have been a controversy with throw pillows. <laughs> that is fantastic. Congratulations on your victory. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Okay. Great. So thanks, everyone, for joining us for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. And thanks again to Laura Osteen for joining me today. It was a sincere honor to share this time with you. And I, can, uh, I hope that the listeners will, will feel this way, but I certainly feel, uh, feel inspired and feel like a, a more comprehensive and, and better practitioner after our conversation. So um, 
I also wanted to share uh, the Center for Leadership and Social Change's uh, social media information so you can, uh, so anyone who's out there listening can uh, have the opportunity to access that information. So you can find uh, the Florida State uh, Center for Leadership and Social Change uh, Facebook page by looking up Florida State Center for uh, Leadership and Social Change on Facebook, uh, on Twitter at, at the Center FSU, and on Instagram at the Center FSU. And you can get more information about uh, the Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community on our various social media outlets, again, which include facebook.com backslash SA Lead, on Twitter at, at NASPA SLPKC, and on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC. And you can connect with me on Twitter at uh, Miles, which is M-Y-L-E-S underscore Surrett, S-U-R-R-E-T-T. And finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, we would love to hear about your programs. So please shoot us an email to naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Laura, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Miles.